0: All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Do we believe today that we serve a God that is so good, that's a way maker, miracle worker, a promise keeper? Do we believe that this morning? Let's talk to him for a moment. As we pray today, I just want to invite anyone in this place today that's carrying burdens. Some of you I know who you are, some of you I don't. But whatever it is, I just want to invite you to come, whether it's a need for healing, a need for more faith, a need for some sort of a miracle in your life, or God just to show up. Maybe it's just today that you just need the miracle of being reminded of how much God loves you today. That you're enough. That God sent his son down to die for you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. Whatever it is today, I want to invite you just to open up your hearts as we say, Holy Spirit, would you come and invade? Would you come and change? Would you come and shape us and mold us? God, as we open up your word today, God, pray that we would draw closer and closer to you. That any of us who are struggling today, that we'd be able to lay our burdens at your feet and that we'd walk away changed, we'd walk away with hope. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you're going to do, because you are our our way maker, our miracle worker, our promise keeper, our light in the darkness. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, today we're starting a brand new series called The Great Questions of Life. Kind of examining some of the questions that we have to look at in our life, some of the the different things that are important to ask. For all of us, I think there's always important questions to be asking. And today, we're going to talk about beliefs a little bit about worldviews and I, I was reminded this week as we were celebrating a holiday on Monday called many people call it indigenous people's day it used to be called when I was growing up it was always called Columbus Day but you know on that day for me personally I personally am pretty traditional so I celebrate that holiday as Columbus Day. And I have a very traditional celebration that I do. I go to the grocery store and I get lost looking for spices for a few hours. So, and then I get home and my wife, and I tell my wife, hey, Walmart didn't have any spices. And she's like, I'm pretty sure you're at Home Depot. No, it was Walmart. I promise. But you know, Columbus is, is really interesting because his belief system changed the world in many ways. I mean, the first way was that he believed that you could actually sail in east or west in the ocean and not fall off the edge of the earth. That, that's a pretty big belief system in that day. And because of that, we're, we it changed history in so many ways. But another belief system he had was that, of course, that you could keep sailing and you would eventually hit India. Little did he know that there was a kind of a continent in his way. And so he gets to this country or, or parts of it, and he says, well, this must be India. So, of course, the people that I meet there are Indians. And so to this day, Native Americans in many different uh, forms are called Indians because of one person in the 1400s who was lost and believed he wasn't lost, believed he had found the country of India. And that's just a little thing in how belief systems can shape things. But I think as we look at history, every single major moment of turning, major moment of upheaval, major moment of change came from a belief system. Our founding fathers... We're inspired by philosophers like John Locke or Rousseau or Plato. Each and everything that we see in our life that has a major change in history came from someone having a belief system and that getting trickled down. For instance, there's a gentleman by the name of Saeed Khudam. Some of you probably don't know who that is, but the fact is he's had an impact on your life in pretty negative ways. He, he was a gentleman who was a professor, in Egypt. And he was a pretty radical guy. He was inspired by the philosophies of Hitler. And as a Muslim, he he believed some certain things about how Muslims should interact with the world and those that believe differently than them. And he had some pretty radical ideologies to the point where he was actually executed by the Egyptian government. Then his brother Muhammad ends up going back to going to Saudi Arabia and teaching as a professor there. And, And he didn't necessarily do that much. He didn't get put in jail or anything. He just taught. But He had a gentleman in his class by the name of Osama bin Laden, who went on to start a group called Al-Qaeda and eventually was the orchestrator behind the 9-11 attacks and, of course, the world we live in today. Whether it's the fear of terrorism or even just the small things of going to an airport and having to take off your shoes, we're reminded of the fact that one man's belief system had an impact on us today. See, the thing is, our beliefs matter. What we really believe Matters. And a lot of times we, we can live in a world where we can talk about our beliefs and kind of, yeah, well, I believe that or believe, but really, what we truly believe has a dramatic impact on our life. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing to Timothy and he encourages Timothy, saying, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Be careful what you believe. Rather than Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, to teaching. Do not neglect the gifts which you were given through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. First thing I notice here is that he says... To, first of all, to train your habits. He, he says, to, to first of all, to, that physical training is of some value. But he says, train yourself. Persevere in this. Because the fact is, you can train your thoughts. You can train your actions. What you do, the, the habits that you train in your life will determine your spiritual outcomes so many times. And then he says, to watch your life and your doctrine closely. I wasn't even by doctrine. It's beliefs. Watch what you believe. Make sure what you believe is true. Because the fact is, your beliefs have a dramatic impact on your life. The question we all have to answer in our life is, what is it that we really believe? What is our worldview? What is a worldview? Worldview is simply the beliefs that shape your world. It, it, it's the collection of beliefs that you truly believe in. It's, it's the beliefs that you build your life on. It's the beliefs that, the beliefs that influence you. It's how you view the world. It, your, your worldview is how you view God, how you view yourself how you view other people, how you view Satan, how you view tragedy. Your worldview is what shapes who you are. In fact, we all have a worldview of some sort. Maybe we don't really believe it or don't really know it, but we all have something that shapes how we view the world around us. I I mean, even the great philosopher Forrest Gump once said, life is like a box of chocolates, which is a worldview. Not a very good one. Because if you look at the, bo- the back of a box of chocolates, it'll tell you what you're going to get. I've always, I've always found that so funny. Or, you know, he says, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Well, you're going to get chocolate, forest. <laughs> the fact is, whether it's life is like a box of chocolates or it's life is good, life is bad, people are good, people are bad. Sometimes we see life as a contest, see life as a race, maybe we think of life as a circus. However we see life in the world around us has incredible implications on how we interact in the world. And so today, before I talk about what a biblical worldview is, or more importantly, how to have a biblical worldview, I just want to talk about some worldviews that are very popular in our world today. Now I want us, as we talk about these, to really ask ourselves if there's anything in our culture, in our life, that this resonates with. First one that I see quite often in our world is the idea of materialism. You know, it's the idea that life is about the acquisition of things. You know, it's it's like the Constitution says. You know, the, that we have the right to life and liberty and the purchase of happiness. That if we can just buy enough things, that that will make us happy. It's the idea that the man or woman with the most toys is the one who wins. And the problem is, as people get older, they realize the man with the most toys still dies. And he pays way more in in insurance than I do. And see, the thing is, so often people in our world, they get confused with the terms net worth and self-worth. They get to a place where they think, man, if I can just have more, if I just build enough stuff, then I'm going to be somebody. And the problem is, they often find that that's not true, which is why Jesus challenged this in Luke 12. He said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And this is something that I can see come up in the church all the time. I see it in my own life sometimes. Or suddenly I start to feel like, man, well, how I get fulfilled or what I really need in my life is more of this or more of that. Man, whether it's a bigger car, bigger house, whatever it is, we get to this place where it's just that next thing. I just need the next thing. And we think, well, I'm not like those people over there. Like I'm not like Jeff Bezos. Right? I'm not running around in a jet or anything, so I'm good. But the fact is, anytime time in my world, even in my Christianity, where I think it's about owning things and having things, I'm going to have a problem. The, the second philosophy we see quite often is something called meism, or another name for it is narcissism, individualism, which is why I think for the last few years, the last couple generations, at least my generation, was called the me generation, because it's about us. Like we we get the idea that. Life comes from serving ourselves when really it comes through serving God, which is why Jesus challenged in Matthew 16, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. See, the problem is we see this come from the church all the time where it's like, man, I'm going to serve Jesus until it inconveniences me. You know, I'm, I'm going to do all these things. And God, I'm going to lay out my life for you until, you know, I just, uh, I don't really feel like it today. I can see that in my own life where I just, man, I want to go, and and man, I'm all fired up. But today, God, I don't feel like it. Yesterday I was on fire, but today, I just loving people sounds really hard. I just need a me day, you know? The third thing is hedonism. The idea that we we do whatever makes us feel good. We do the things that that make us feel good, that makes us look good. The idea that if it feels good, then it can't be wrong. Which is why God challenges this. Proverbs 21 says that those who love pl- pleasure will become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. Philippians 3 says, talking about a group of people, says that their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. We, we live in a world that says, man, you, you deserve to feel good. Every every commercial around us is telling us, hey, here's a new way for you to feel good, to look good, to be good. Everything around us in marketing is telling us, Here, here's a new, th- new product for you to buy that'll make you feel good. And often we can see this even in the church. We get to a place where we're like, man, people will church hop all over because man, this church doesn't make me feel good anymore. This marriage doesn't make me feel good anymore, so I'm going to find a different one. This relationship doesn't make me feel good, so I'm just going to move on. And you know, God made me feel good for a little bit, but you know, I'm just not feeling as good today. We we forget the words of the song. We just saying that, man. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Sometimes we get to a place where, ah, if I don't feel it, you must not be working. So we just move on. Another philosophy in our world today is the idea of pragmatism. That you know. Whatever works for me. But whatever works for you. you know, Different strokes for different folks. It's like the story of the guy who fell off a five-story building. And as he was falling down, people could hear him as he was going down the building and go, So far, so good. <laughs> but the thing is, of course, that guy, if that was a real story, is dead. Because it may be going good for a while. But Proverbs 14 tells us there's a way that appears right to a man. But in the end, it always leads to death. Which is why I think so many Christians often try to bend the Bible to fit their worldview. They they start with with a predetermined set of values, whatever that is. And then they try to go, okay, how does the Bible fit into this? The problem is that never works well. Anytime I start off with, this is my stake in the ground, and then I'm going to make the Bible fit, I'm going to have a problem, because the Bible does not fit well into tight spaces. The Bible is a space itself. And my job and my goal is to fit into it. It's to say, okay, you shape me, you mold me. Of course, we have the idea of atheism, the idea that there is no God, the idea that, in a sense, that we are an accident, and, of course, that's something that, man, a lot of people spend a lot of time on the implications of that. But ultimately, if we live our lives believing that we're an accident, believing that life has no deeper meaning, you can see a huge change in the way people are treated, in the way that we actually talk to other people and love people. In Psalm 14.1, it says that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. And of course we have seen that, and we're, well, we're all, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in church, so it probably doesn't apply to me, but one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Craig Grishel. And he had a book that coined the, the term Christian atheism. The idea of saying that God exists, but then living as if he doesn't. That's something that has always challenged me, is that we can go and say with our words, man, I believe in God, but what does that look like in my everyday life? Is my worldview one that church is just something I go and do and that I don't actually change anything during the week? Do I live as if God's actually real? The, the, the sixth one, the sixth worldview I like to talk about today is called humanism. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The idea that I am God, the idea that I can create my own meaning in life versus God creating my meaning for me. I like what it says in Romans 1.25. It says that they exchange the truth of God for a lie and they worship created things rather than the Creator. We live in a world that often likes to worship people, worship people's ideas. Something to always watch out for, even for those of us who consider ourselves Christians. Man, we can do this so often where we worship a pastor. Or we, we put someone on us that this author, this person, man, they must be the closest to God. But what does it actually mean to actually follow Jesus instead of just focusing on what everyone else is saying? The the final worldview that I think is the most important is called theism. Or or simply the idea of following God. Theism coming from the word theos, which is the Greek word for God. The fact is, the Bible says that God has created us for a purpose. He's created you, He's created me for a purpose. In Colossians 1, it says, For in Him, God, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. See, I believe that until we understand this, I don't think that life will ever truly make sense. We have to ask ourselves, what is our worldview? And a lot of times in our world, There's a myth that we can buy into, which is called the sincerity myth. Which, like, if I really believe it, then it must be true. Which, if I'm sincere in my belief in this thing, then it must be true. But I don't know about you. I've been sincerely wrong before. I've had a lot of times in my life where I have just I really thought I was right. Boy, was I wrong. What I want to talk about today is not just what is a biblical worldview, but I I really want to ask the question, how do we gain a biblical worldview? How do we examine our beliefs and truly ask the question, what is God's view on this? And the most important thing we need to do is to learn God's truth. In Proverbs, it says, buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom and instruction and insight as well. See, the Bible says that In Hebrews 4, that God's word is like a two-edged sword. Paul writes that this book, the Bible, is good for, it's profitable for teaching, for instruction, for teaching us what's true. If we're going to be God's people, the most important thing we can do is open up God's word. Open up the Bible and ask, what does it really say for our life? Ask it to, to change the way that we Think as it says in Romans that we should be conformed to the patterns of this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Proverbs four twenty three writes, "Be careful how you think, for your life is shaped by your thoughts." See, as followers of Jesus, as people who want to follow Him and look at the world the way He does, transformation does not start from the outside in. Transformation doesn't start from from doing something out here and then somehow it working in here. Really, transformation starts from the inside out. It starts by transforming the way we think, transforming the way that our our soul interacts with things. From the inside out, we continue to be changed by the truth of God. Matthew 7.24, it says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is like a wise man who builds his house on a solid rock. I love what Ralph Waldo Emerson writes. He says, if you sow a thought, you reap an action. If you sow an action, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you sow a character, you reap a life. The question then is, what is shaping the way that we think? What things are we intaking into our life? You know, I've said before, and I've heard it said many times that You, as a follower of Jesus, when you go into the world, you may be the only Bible that someone reads. Like the way that you live your life may be the only time that someone has any inclination of what it means to follow Jesus. How you live your life. But my hope and my prayer is that I'm not the only Bible you ever read. My hope and my prayer is that this isn't the only time you hear God's word read, that you're getting into it during the week, that you're asking questions, that you maybe have godly people around you, like a life group where you're getting into it together, and man, you're actually working on this outside of church, that you're actually following Jesus outside of church, that God's word is something that's opened up in your life on a regular basis. Because the fact is, if this is the only time that you're spiritually fed throughout the week, then just like if you were to eat only once a week, you're not going to grow very much, are you? So my hope and my prayer is that as we're learning God's truth, we're not just learning it here, but we're learning it each and every week. See, the first thing we have to do is ask ourselves to have a biblical worldview. We have to ask ourselves, what is God's truth? We have to dive into it. The second thing we have to do is turn from the world. We have to turn from things that are against God. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you'll be able to know what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, every moment that we get up, we have a choice in our life. It comes down simply to one question. Do you want to do things God's way or your way? Or Yahweh or your way is my favorite way of saying that. Whose life are we going to be living? Jesus it's pretty clear that you can't serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other. So in our life, as we start to look at what our worldview is, how it is that we interact with the world, the things that we believe, the things that we hold true, the philosophies that we bring into our life, are they in line with God's word or are they in line with the world? What is it that we're actually believing in our life, and what things do we need to turn from? Proverbs fifteen fourteen says that a wise person is hungry for truth while the fool feeds on trash. A wise person is hungry for truth. If we really hunger for God's truth, the fact that Jesus is pretty clear that those who seek will find. If we're truly hungry for more of Him, we'll start to find ourselves getting more and more of His truth as we look in His Word. And finally, we have to center ourselves on God's agenda. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. 1 Corinthians 14.20 says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children in regard to evil be, in regard to evil be infants, but in your thinking be adults. thing is, we've talked about this a few times, and I love this idea of being centered on God's truth. Asking ourselves a question, what is it that we're centered on in our families? Are we centered on God's word? And everything that we do is God at the center of it. And if you ask, you really look at what you believe in life. A lot of times we can find that God is at the perimeter of it, not at the center of it. How we view people, sometimes God isn't at the center. It's, he's, he's kind of there. But really, what's at the center is something else it's a different philosophy maybe it's some hedonism i I just want to do what makes me feel good maybe maybe it's some sort of humanism that man i i I, yeah I, i appreciate what god's word says about that but you know i think that this is the right way see the best way to know what it is that you believe and what your worldview actually is is to ask the people that are closest to you for those of you who consider yourself a follower of jesus you sit down with your spouse or even your kids, if they're old enough. And it's asking the question, what do you think I believe? Like, what is it that you see in my life? What, what is the thing that seems to be the core belief system in my life? I heard an idea once that someone said, imagine that you were dragged into a courtroom and were accused of being a follower of Jesus and it was in a, you know, in a place where maybe it was illegal, and suddenly you're dragged in and you're accused of this, and the jury and all the witnesses are your family, your friends, your neighbors, would you be found guilty? So my fear is for a lot of Christians is that they may get accused of it in that type of a situation, but then after closer examination, they probably get let off. Because their their friends might go, yeah, no, no, really, it's okay. I know he said that, I know he went to church a few times, but no, trust me, believe me. I'll I'll tell you what we did on Friday night. I'll tell you what we did together. No, no, he's okay. He's okay. He's not really a follower of Jesus. As we look at our world and, and the way that we, the belief systems that we have, it's so important that we continue to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm building my life on? Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Again, Paul writes to have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales. Rather to train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. What are you training your mind in? Your mind is a muscle. Your thoughts are things that you can work on. So what are you doing to build your belief system? What things are you doing that's building your world view? I just want to encourage us today that as we leave this place that we just continue to ask, God, what things in my life are drawing me closer to you and what things in my life are not? I want to encourage you just to continue to build that time where you get into God's word, where you hear from him and and allow his word to transform you and shape you and mold you. If you don't have people in your life that are helping you to do that, we'd love to help you find a life group or a group of people that love just to sit down with you and help you in that. And ultimately, the best thing you can do, for those of you who just, man, I don't know if I'm really following God or if if my worldview is really centered on Him, the best thing we can do is pray. Sometimes we think of prayer as the last thing we do, but I I encourage you, the first thing you can do is come to God and say, God, would you show me what ways I can be better, what ways I can be more like you? God, I'm struggling with my worldview because I want to believe this but I I just don't know if I really believe it that much. That can be a prayer. So as we close today, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. As we say, Father, we are committed. We're committed to follow you. But God, sometimes the way that we live our lives doesn't match up with that. Sometimes the way we view the world doesn't match up with that, but we want it to. And so God, first and foremost, for anyone in this place today that calls himself a follower of Jesus, I just pray for conviction today in any areas of our life that doesn't line up with you. If we view the world the way that the world views the world, rather than the way that you view it, God, would you just break our hearts? God, would you help us to look more and more like you? God, for anyone in this place today who's still maybe wrestling with what it means to follow you, God, I just pray that they would just be overwhelmed with a sense of your love. That they would be reminded of the fact that there is so many different ways of viewing the world, but there is a God that not has a worldview for them, but ultimately has a view of them that in the midst of all creation that God saw them right now, that God saw you and said, I love you too much to leave you where you're at. I'm going to send my son down to die on a cross for you. And God, if there's anyone in this place or anyone hearing my voice right now that has been wrestling with that, God, I pray today is the day they make the decision to to become a fully committed follower of you and give you everything. God, I love you. We thank you so much for what you're doing.